Thank you. Please sit down. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, everyone. Um, I must have driven past hundreds, if not thousands, of these in my lifetime. In fact, I think I came past one just as I came off the M M5. I never realized until this morning that the guy's wearing Wellingtons. <laughs> so you probably can't see it, but have a, have a gander. Have a look afterwards. And he's got a pair of wellies on, hasn't he? Yeah. I thought he was in the buff, yeah. Well, perhaps that's all he got. Oh, no. no. Sorry. Wrong image. Wrong image. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to continue our series in Luke, looking at the kingdom of God. We're going to be reading in a few moments from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. If you'd like one of the church editions of the Bible, there's some folks at the back ready to dish those out. So please raise your hand, and one will come in your direction. And we're going to read from Luke, chapter 10. Uh, from verse 38. I want to say a big thank you to the church for the invitation uh, to spend these three weeks with you. I believe I'm with you again later in the year for, for another um, short series. I do enjoy my visits here, and I, I think I've said before, but I don't take lightly the confidence that you place in me to come and share God's Word with you. I know the importance that Abby places on the Word of God, and um, so to invite a, an outsider, as it were, to come in and to hopefully explain the, the Word of God is, uh, is um, quite a responsibility, and, and I, uh, as I said, I don't take it lightly. Thank you so much for that. So we're going to read Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She, she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation, preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we, this week, home in on this very domestic scene. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at things that were relatively large. As Jesus called his disciples and told them to go out into the villages and the towns to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, and um, in between that, at the early part of chapter 9, we then have Jesus feeding 5,000 people. We have Jesus sending out 72. Um, so big scale things. And suddenly, we focus down right onto this domestic scene, um, to something quite ordinary in many ways, away from the grand, the large, to something that's in our own backyard. Uh, a lady who was a great influence on me, and uh, the work that, that I do, uh, is a lady called Helen Rosevere. Some of you may have heard of Helen Rosevere. She used to be a, a missionary in what at that time I think was called Belgian Congo. It's uh, gone through various incarnations over the years, and 
uh, when Helen Roosevelt was working there, it was a troubled country, and I think, like many African countries, still remains a very troubled country. And out of her experience, she wrote a number of books. Um, one was called Give Me This Mountain, and the second one was called He Gave Us a Valley. And uh, they're stories of her and um, her colleagues who tried to build, well, they did eventually build a, a hospital and a mission sta station. Um, but it's, as you can tell from the titles, it's a story of ups and downs. Give me this mountain. But he gave us a valley. And I find that um, so true of my experience that there are times when you seem on top of the mountain and the world is all as it should be, as a popular Christian song goes. Um, and in a sense, it's far easier to live for Jesus in those situations. But for many of us, we're living in the valley, aren't we, when the times are tough. In the, perhaps not just the tough times, but the ordinary times, the Monday morning sort of times. And I think, in a sense, that's what we've come to here. Um, the 72 that Jesus sent out, and you'll see that um, earlier in, in chapter 10. Uh, he sent out 12 in chapter 9, but then at the beginning of chapter 10, we haven't covered this. He sent out even more of his followers, and they came back on top of the world. Oh, wow! Just the mention of your name, Jesus, and things seem to happen. But here, we're now in the home of Mary and Martha. Now, the context, and in fact, Chris reminded us, remind us of the context with that verse that spoke out to him. I'm always amazed with verses that stick out to people. And I'm glad it's a verse that stuck out to you, perhaps not what I said. Um, but the context of this is that verse 51 from chapter 9. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, that in itself is a, a, an unusual phrase there, but Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So that's the context that we're in here. Jesus has got this determination that he's going to go to Jerusalem knowing what would happen to him. He was gradually revealing to his disciples what was going to happen to him, the fact he was going to be betrayed and handed over to his enemies and tried and executed, but on the third day he will rise again. Um, and that was sort of being drip-fed into their consciousness. But that is the context here, that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And one of the villages that he goes through on the way, the village isn't mentioned by name here, but we know from elsewhere in the Bible, the village where Martha and Mary lived was Bethany. And that's where they had got to. And this was a place where Jesus received one of those welcomes that he spoke about earlier on. Do you remember when he sent his disciples out, he said, there will be some homes that will welcome you. And here we've got an example of that, that as they were on their way to Jerusalem, well, here was somewhere that welcomed him. And we read in verse 38 that Martha opened her home to him. And I think that's a brilliant phrase. Some of you, I'm sure, are, are very familiar with this particular story of Martha and Mary in the uh, sort of discourse, that's probably a polite way of putting it, that went on between Martha and Mary and what was going on in the background here in this home. And sometimes we might feel that Martha gets a bit of a raw deal out of this because she was the one that was wanting to do the work. All that Mary was doing was sitting on the backside listening to Jesus. Well, whatever else we might discover about Martha in this story, I think this is a great starting point and an incredible plus for Martha. Martha opened her home to Jesus. 
it, it was a very practical thing for her. I don't know much about first century Palestinian um, architecture, but I would imagine there was a door on this house. And Martha opened the door, and either by a gesture or by her words, she said, Jesus, come on in, come on in. And that picture, which was, as I said, something very physical, something very practical for Mary, is actually a picture that's carried on elsewhere in the Bible, and it's a great metaphor for us, too, inviting Jesus into our home, opening up our home, whatever that might mean to Jesus. Perhaps one of the most famous metaphors that we have is in the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, in chapter 3 and verse 20, where we have the words of Jesus, where he's saying, look, listen, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and have a meal with them and they with me. A great picture of inviting Jesus into your world, your home, your experience. And and can I just say at this point, this is where it starts. This is where understanding what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, what it means to be part of the church. This is where Christianity starts for you, by opening up your home to Jesus. Have you done that? Have you come to that point in your life where, like Martha, you've opened up your home to him? But of course, and this is a a salutary challenge to those of us who have done that, because those words that Jesus speaks in Revelation 3, verse 20, where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Jesus is actually speaking those words to his followers. He's speaking those words to a church that somehow, and don't ask me to explain the theology of this, but somehow it put Jesus on the outside of their experience. And they were continuing to function and operate without Jesus being in their presence. Now, how weird is that? But I guess some of us have come across groups of God's people, have come across churches where you ask the question, is Jesus here? Make sure you never get to that point. In all you're doing, in all your activity, and perhaps this is the main challenge of these verses, that sometimes we can get so busy that Jesus is there saying, excuse me, can I have some input here? Can I have a word? And we say, no, no, just keep out, because we're doing quite well without you. Well, it starts well for Martha. She didn't have everything sorted. We'll we'll see that in a few moments. But she started well. She opened her home to Jesus. But it was Mary who sat listening to what Jesus said there in verse 39. It was Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus listening to him. As I've been preparing over the past three weeks for these talks, and um, they've largely been material that I haven't prepared on in a sermon way. I've read them plenty of times, but I haven't had to do a series like this, <coughs> excuse me, in, in Luke. Um, I feel that God has been saying a lot of things to me personally and about the work in which I'm engaged and the church to which I belong, some of which I haven't particularly passed on to you because it's been... Um, perhaps not applicable to you in your situation where I haven't felt it has been. But the personal challenge to me in the last three weeks is to really listen, what is Jesus saying? 
I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So what does he say? I don't want to get so corny as to wear a band and, you know, what would Jesus do? But it's almost in that area that I've been challenged. What is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying into my life? Because we live in this busy world, don't we, where there are so many voices, some good, some bad, some indifferent. We live in a busy Christian world where there are so many voices that we can hear. And we think, well, should I take note of what that person is saying or what that group are saying? I'm I'm not sure. I'm so glad that the lesson that I'm beginning to learn from this is that I need, like Mary, to press the pause button in my life and simply listen to Jesus. Now, what does that mean to me? And how does that work out for you? I'm glad that, that yesterday you did this in a little way, didn't you, as a church? You had those opportunities throughout the day, I think I picked this up right from, from Phil, to press the pause button. And I'm sure that you had a lot to say to the Lord about the project and about the work here at Abbey. But I hope that you also pressed the pause button and tried to listen to what Jesus has to say as well. And we need to do that in our busy lives. Are we too busy to pray? Are we too busy to read God's word? Are we too busy to listen? Well, if the answer to those questions is yes, then we are frankly too busy. Now, you might say, either it's all right for you because this is your job, isn't it? It's what you do all the time. You're always listening to what God has to say. And yes, it's true that if you come into my office where I work, um, often you will find a Bible open, and throughout the week I'm regularly looking at the Bible and reading from the Bible and preparing messages like for this morning and other opportunities that I have as well. But although I never try and treat that just like a job, I do treat it separately to pressing the pause life in my personal life, pause button in my personal life, and saying, Lord, what have you got to say to me? I'm regularly reading God's word not to prepare for a message. Um, Mark said he's reading through Hebrews at the moment. I'm reading through Jeremiah at the moment. As far as I'm aware, I'm not going to speak on Jeremiah anywhere in the next few weeks. But I'm just reading through Jeremiah to encourage myself. No. (laughs) I'm reading through Jeremiah. So what, what, Lord, have you got to say to me at the moment? Just to me. And so I regularly have those times in my day and throughout the week where I'm pressing the pause button. And I often sit in there thinking, oh, there's other things I ought to do. I want to get on with other things. But I know it's so important for me. And Jesus says to Mary, look, um, Jesus says to Martha, other stuff is good. Other stuff is good. But what Mary is doing is better. It was Mary who sat listening to what Jesus was saying. Because Martha was being distracted. I'll leave that picture up just for a few moments as you just try and work out what's going to happen in the next second. You might remember back um, in the first week when we were looking at the first nine verses, I think it was, of of chapter nine. One of the points that I I made there about the disciples was this idea of they were given an instruction and they simply obeyed it. They kept to the task. In verse two, Jesus sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That that was the instruction, twofold. Preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick. 
And what did they do in verse 6? So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. In other words, um, they kept the main thing the main thing. I think that was a phrase that I used. Uh, There was so many other things they could have been distracted by, could have got involved in as they went from village to village, but Jesus had said, preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick. So what did they do? They preached the kingdom of God, they healed the sick. Because for us, as the people of God, the good has always been the enemy of the best. And really, this is what we're learning here from these verses. Martha was being distracted onto necessary stuff, important stuff in her mind. But at that point, the best thing was to sit and listen to Jesus. Now, I'm not making a call here, and neither is Jesus making a call for some sort of monastic life. That all we should do is retreat retreat into a life of solitary contemplation and just meditate all day, listening to what God has to say. The challenge of these verses, and if it was true in the first century, brothers and sisters, surely isn't it true in our sophisticated, hectic 21st century, as a man called Alan Redpath once said, we need to beware of the barrenness of the busy life. The barrenness of the busy life. Why is it that I take it almost as a compliment when people say, oh, Ivy, you must be busy. I can feel my chest go, oh, yes, I'm busy. That's what I do. I fill my diary full of stuff. And, oh, no, I can't go there because I'm busy doing something else. Isn't this a challenge to that sort of attitude, that sort of life? I need to realize, we need to realize that our value in God's eyes is not dependent upon our busyness. And frankly, effectiveness in God's service is not dependent on busyness. And I find this a real challenge. Because I'm always wanting to do. I'm always wanting to act. I'm always wanting to plan. I work off lists, to-do lists. I always cross off the top one first, but... That's something I've done because I feel like I've achieved something. And that's the way I am. And this phrase that is used here, and I just wonder if years later when Martha and Mary were recounting this to Luke, who who records it, if, if Martha thinks back, and you've got that phrase there in verse 40, all the things that... All the, um, let me just read it so I get it right. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. Can you see the emphasis sort of there? And Martha was saying, there was all these things that had to be done. And she could justify her busyness. Now, look, there are plenty of verses in the Bible that teach against laziness. Read the book of Proverbs. And... uh, The book of Thessalonians, which says that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And so there are challenges in God's word for those people who just want to stay in bed and look at the clock and go, oh, just another hour or two. That's all that's needed. So let's not swing the pendulum the other way. But Martha, the Son of God is under your roof. Chicken sandwiches don't matter at the moment. There are more important things that you can be involved in. And we can translate that, we can apply that in our own lives. 
when we know that our business should be connecting with him and we think, oh, but this needs to be done. This needs to be achieved. Oh, no. When you have an opportunity to spend time with the Son of God, make that your priority. Do that. The trouble is that she was distracted. Distracted by all the things that had to be done. And there was a consequence to that. It led to a bit of tension in the family. They started to fall out. And it had a consequence, a knock-on effect to the way that Martha spoke to Jesus as well. She was beginning to let that root of bitterness grow in her life, was Martha. And as she was dashing around from pillar to post with all these things that had to be done, she kept on looking at Mary and thinking, why doesn't she come and help me? Can't she see what needs to be done? And that resentment suddenly burst out with some words to Jesus that must be, if you just think about it for a moment, some of the most hurtful words that we have in the Bible. Lord, don't you care? Of all the people to say that to. Jesus, don't you care? Of course he cares. Why he came. That's why he's in your home. That was his very purpose in coming because God loved the world so much. But it had twisted her thinking. And so often our attitude to other brothers and sisters, when we start to get this sort of resentment and tension comes in our relationships, it affects our relationship with him as well. That's why when John, when writing to Christians in his first epistle in 1 John, basically says that our love for God and our love for our fellow brothers and sisters, they rise and fall together. If we're out of sorts with our brothers and sisters, it's going to put us out of sorts with our Lord as well. But there's another point I think we can get from this tension that was growing there in this family. That Jesus entering this home, Jesus being invited into this home by Martha, didn't initially bring peace and contentment. You know, we sometimes have this idea, don't we? You know, invite Jesus into your home and everything will be all right. Jesus came into this home and he started to challenge things. He started to challenge priorities. He started to challenge personalities. Now, we get a fuller picture elsewhere in the Gospels of what happened here, particularly in John chapter 11. We know that this friendship that probably started at this point between Jesus and Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus began to grow, began to grow And it really was a very deep relationship. So much so, it's almost as if Jesus and his disciples treated this home as a little bit of an oasis that they went back to time and time again, just so they could relax. And the love that these people had for each other grew very deep indeed. But that lasting, that meaningful relationship was born out of this tension and Jesus challenging a wrong mindset. He didn't sweep it under the carpet. He knew that things weren't right here. And he put his finger right on it. Now that could have blown everything apart. And Martha could have said, well, I welcomed you here. Now you go. But no. She took it the right way, obviously, because the friendship developed. 
And we need to allow Jesus Christ to do that, to put his finger on those attitudes and those mindsets that are wrong and allow him to challenge and to change us. We never take off those learner plates, do we? That's why we're called disciples. We never fully arrive, as it were, in God's kingdom. We're constantly learning. And we see that here, that Jesus challenged this family. He didn't just rest and say, oh, well, you just carry on with the way that you are. No, there's something wrong here. It needs to be put right. And so, very graciously, Jesus put Martha right. You've probably seen this image, haven't you? Of what's called the magic roundabout down in Swindon. Really helpful, isn't it? <laughs> um, it came to my mind um, because I think basically what we have here in these verses is a call for, for simplicity. A call for simplicity. It's back to asking us, what is our priority? It's back to keeping the main thing the main thing. It's back to not being distracted. There's all sorts of ways that we can go but we're followers of Jesus. We're part of building his kingdom. Back to the book of Revelation again. And you may be aware that the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, we have there recorded uh, a series of letters that God sends to, to churches, churches that were, uh, uh, were actual living churches at the time when they were first written. The church at Sardis and, and uh, Ephesus. And uh, the, the letter that... God writes, ascends to the church at Ephesus, it is very interesting because he commends them. You read it in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, I know what you do, your deeds, your activity. It's brilliant. If they had printed programs, they would be so wonderful. Oh, you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this. But do you know what Jesus says to that church who is doing so much? It's so busy. He said, but one thing's missing. You've lost your first love. Where am I in this? And that is the challenge, brothers and sisters, to you and me. Where is Jesus in all that we do? In our personal lives, in the activities that we're engaged in as the people of God. Jesus has got to be at the center of all that we do. There's so much other stuff that can distract us. But where is Jesus? Remember the first week, one of the first points I made was the fact that Jesus called those 12 most unlikely individuals who eventually turned the world upside down where the 11 of them did. But right at the very beginning, soon after the day of Pentecost, when they were there, um, standing before their enemies who were accusing them of all sorts of things. The enemies accused them of being ignorant nobodies. Yeah? But what's the thing that they took note of about those men? It wasn't their education. It wasn't their achievements up to that point. It was the fact that they had been with Jesus. And the fact that they had been with Jesus meant that they turned the world upside down. So brothers and sisters, in all our planning, in all your activities, 
make sure that you have those times where you sit at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. Let's pray together. Because, Lord Jesus, what you have to say to us is so worthwhile. It's so pertinent. It is so true. So, Lord, however it works out for us, help us to spend those times at your feet. Help us to feed on you. Help us to go to you as our resource. Help us to ensure that you are at the center of all that we do so that we can bring great glory to your name. For we ask it in your name. Amen.